Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here. Edgy talk, lane talk, unrivaled talk, talk radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here at the world headquarters of Common Sense where once again we are charting a safe passage for you through the rather choppy waters of this dangerous world in which we now live. Don't worry about what's going on uh, in Downing Street. There's plenty going on elsewhere. Joe Biden's been swearing at reporters. Uh, Vladimir Putin is still threatening to invade uh, the Ukraine. Uh, We're not quite sure what's happening there but we'll bring you up to date on it. Over at Downing Street they're busy fighting off yet another party gate tale. This time it was some cake for Boris Johnson's birthday. Served up in the cabinet office complete with singing cards and about 30 people at the time indoor gatherings were banned but the rear guard action is already in full flow with the prime minister's defenders saying it was yet another work event and it only took 10 minutes well that's all right then it still would have caused other people outside of downing street to have been probably arrested and charged with something with just days to go until the release of the sue gray investigation into downing street parties it is said that this latest revelation was already included in the report so it won't come as any surprise to her but how many more are there and just what would it take for any of them to make boris budge john rental is here with us this morning uh, to discuss what is likely to happen next and of course no doubt he will make a reference to lord agnew of alton uh, who no i've never heard of either apparently said the treasury was so desperately inadequate in dealing with fraud uh, that he's now resigned from the government he did that yesterday in the house of lords through sound ringing of applause well you know what side they're on don't you what happens next it's literally anybody's guess. The big question on everybody's lips is, when's he going to go? Not if, but just when. I don't know. The Sue Gray report may be out tomorrow. There's Prime Minister's questions to come. Sir Keir Starmer may have another go at getting rid of him. But literally, it's anybody's guess right now. Uh, John's got some breaking news for us, though, as well. 0344 499 Laura Dodsworth is here a bit later on uh, with her take on the nudge units, which have now gone from COVID to the highway code. Uh, they're now trying to make it uh, impossible for you to drive a car at anywhere at all uh, without stopping about every three yards for some cyclists. That'd be fine. No problem at all. 0344 499 It's Burns Night as well. Uh, so if you happen to be uh, in Scotland or celebrating anything Scottish, good luck with that because you're not allowed to. Um, we will, of course, be trying to bring you as much joy and mirth as we possibly can. And we'll be taking your calls as well. 0344 You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, I'm exhausted now. There's so much news. <laughs> John Rental is here in the studio. Welcome. Thank you very much Hello for popping there. in. Um, so, the big well, question on everybody's lips is, what's the breaking news? Well, I just looked on Twitter uh, as I came into the studio, Mark, yeah. and I see Cressida Dick, the uh, Metropolitan Police Commissioner, is speaking right now. As we on speak. Sc- on screens above your head. Yeah. She's speaking to the London Assembly, mm. uh, and she is going to say that the police are going to investigate some of these uh, parties in yes. Downing Street. Does that mean they're going to uh, interview some of their own police officers as to what they may have known and when they knew it and why didn't they do anything about it? <laughs> well, that is a question which is which is bound to come up. But uh, the political significance of it, obviously, is that that tilts 
the probability uh, further in favour of the 54 letters uh, arriving at Sir Graham Brady's office yes. uh, shortly after Sue Gray reports. Because then, you know, as soon as Sue Gray, this civil servant, has, has reported, mm. then uh, Tory MPs can say to themselves, well, we've, uh, we've allowed due yes. process. Um, I mean, and what she's what she's going to report is not going to be good for. for well, the Prime it's Minister. interesting, isn't it? Because I was going to ask you what you made of the the, sort of the leaks that have come over the past few days, which have certainly intimated that this is not going to be good for Boris Johnson. Yeah. And I'm wondering whether those are coming from the civil service who are trying to sort of cover their own backs as well by trying to make out that it's worse for him than it is for them. Well, it, who who knows? I mean, the interesting thing about the birthday party leak is that uh, we were then told that Sue Gray, Sue Gray already knew about it. So I, yes. su- so I suspect it was leaked by the same person who told uh, Sue Gray about yeah, it. Yeah, because we had that bizarre situation yesterday where Dominic Cummings said he wasn't going to give any more evidence because he feared that one, it would be leaked, and two, <laughs> Boris would tell a load of lies to get out of it. And you go, well, surely if you're <laughs> that still... That didn't make any sense no, to me. Well, the if idea that, that if he spoke in person yeah. to Sue Gray, Boris Johnson would then be able to lie about it, whereas yeah. if he emailed Sue Gray, yes. uh, Boris I mean, Boris surely you can, you can leak the written word as easily you can the spoken word, can't you? I mean, it did not. It did not make any sense. Anyway, but he has, however, he has communicated his information to to Sue Gray. Uh, it will s- shortly be communicated to the world. Tory MPs will then have to make up their mind. Uh, it only takes one in seven of them, uh, and that's the you know you're talking about the most volatile and the most Boris hating mm. uh, seventh of the parliamentary Conservative Party right. to, to to put in 54 letters. I I I think on balance that's likely to happen. I don't know they are cowards. Mm. You've got to remember that, and it is it is easier as a Tory MP to do nothing rather than to do something. Yes. Uh, but I think the letters will go in, and I think that will be curtains for. Yes. Well, Prime I had a, well, I had a very interesting conversation yesterday with Chris Loder, MP from Dorset, who was thought to be one of the kind of um, you know pork pie plotters. Yeah. Um, he, which he denied, by the way. He claimed that that was a leak from Number Ten to try and to throw try everybody and off the it. scent. Yeah. Uh, and to stop them from actually talking. But he did say there were a group of people, many of whom were new new sort of members to Parliament, yeah. um, who were un- unsure that Boris Johnson was doing the right thing. And he talked more about the fact that he wanted to see more policy change and he wants to see more kind of conservative um, actual action from, from Downing Street. But he also said that he personally had not put a letter in yes. and he had not said that he didn't have uh, confidence in, in the Prime Minister at this point anyway. Well, but I mean, even David Davis says he hasn't put a letter in and he's he's the one who got up in Parliament and said, in the name of God, go. Yes. So what he meant was, in the name of God, uh, give me a few minutes to sort of think about it. <laughs> or did he just think that, you know, why would you wait for us to ask for uh, a vote? Why can't you just see that this is a bad situation that you're in and you should walk away from it? Well, and he was calling for the Prime Minister to resign of his own accord. Yes. Everybody knows that that's not going to happen. No. Uh, and therefore, it's a question of whether... Is there they... no circumstance, do you think, under which he would he would go voluntarily? Well, he's a difficult uh, psychological phenomenon to read. But, mm. uh, no, I mean, everything everything about Boris suggests that he would he would fight on, you know, once he's in that position. Right. Um uh, but so the so the question that Conservative MPs have to ask themselves is is do they want him as as their Prime Minister? This is their chance. Yeah. Uh, they don't know what you know when they'll get another chance. Yeah. Uh, but this is obviously a moment of decision. And the rearguard action though is still very much in full flow. And I'm wondering if uh, it's organised in in particular by particular people or whether you know there's an awful lot of people on social media saying leave them alone. You know we're bored of this now. Yeah. Let's move on. And it's kind of like I'm thinking. I don't know anyone that actually thinks that, but there's an awful lot of people saying it on social media. Now, does that mean that I've got it wrong or does it mean that actually, you know, there's a sort of orchestrated campaign going on, which we've seen before. Yeah. And I'm not trying to, you know, put my tinfoil hat on, but, you know, we have seen before in politics, you know, people attempting to influence your view. Yeah. 
by putting out lots of pro-Boris tweets. Well, it, 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 is a, it is an awkward time to be getting rid of the Prime Minister with what with uh, things happening in Ukraine mm. uh, and all the rest of it. But there's never going to be an easy time. Um, and I think Conservative MPs have a very simple choice, which is uh, do they think that Boris Johnson is the right person to, to, to lead them over the next couple of years um, or not? And uh, I suspect they will come to the conclusion that he's not. Yes. And then the conclusion they must then come to is who would you prefer? And an awful lot of people are currently saying, well, the thing is, is it not better the devil you know? Uh, is it not better to keep Boris Johnson, who at the moment well, appears to be willing to lift all restrictions because yeah. it seems as though COVID has now been completely batted into the long grass and nobody's even talking about it anymore. Yeah, well, the more Machiavellian of the uh, the anti-COVID uh, restriction rebels, the 101 who defied the government whip before Christmas, mm. I mean, you know, if they were being uh, cynical about it, they would rather keep Boris Johnson uh, weak in, in power, uh, uh, who will do what they want. Uh, rather than have Rishi, yes. Su Rishi, Rishi Sunak with a new mandate coming in, uh, mm. who'd, who'd be in, in an extremely strong position. And although Rishi Sunak, you know, has always been on the sort of anti-lockdown side of the argument in yeah. these cabinet debates, I mean, you know, as a new prime minister, they they wouldn't be necessarily sure they would get what they want from him. No. And also it's a question of what the cabinet would look like as well, because, I mean, there may be some, and I'm one of them, in fact, uh, who would say, well, the whole cabinet hasn't exactly behaved brilliantly here. Nobody has really stood out uh, and made any kind of statement about Boris Johnson that means anything. It's all been, let's wait for the report to be published. <laughs> yeah, well, Nobody has kind of well, gone... No, nobody in Cabinet can, can well, say anything they can negative stand... about the Prime Minister well, because they're bound by collective Cabinet Well, yeah, but they could have said something negative and then left and then well, waited... Oh, to, you, the, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yes. they've all stood there collectively as if nothing's wrong. No, they don't want to give up their jobs, do they? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's a it's rather unfortunate is, place to be, isn't it? I mean, I know that principal left the building quite a long time ago, <laughs> but it'd be nice if some of them had something about them rather than just clinging on, because what they're now doing is appearing to be on his side. So if he then goes... Grant surely... Shapps did not sound like he was very much on the Prime Minister's no. side this morning on the radio. He, yeah. he, he did. He basically said that it was a terrible idea having this party. Yeah. Uh, and that the Prime Minister's got some explaining to do. But of course, there are other people who are saying, well, hang on a minute. Surely he's allowed a bit of cake on his birthday, isn't he? Well, yes. No, I mean, you know, I, th I think that's perfect. That's a perfectly reasonable position. I mean, if you are in the in the office, if you are working and it's somebody's birthday, then you, you, you know, you might have cake. You might even sing that dreadful song. Well, even though actually, singing is banned indoors, <laughs> which it was, let's yeah, face it. Absolutely. Um, but I think the problem is that it was the government that legislated to mm. to, uh, to to make all these things illegal. Right. And you know, it, once once the prime minister is trying to explain away a bit of cake in the office, I think he's in uh, he's in deep trouble. Well, that's right. And you just have to assume now that the police are going to be involved, that the police are going to have to seek more and more evidence. Yeah. More and more people are going to have to be interviewed. And you've basically got a government in sort of suspension, haven't well, you? Well, and also, I mean, it's a huge waste of police resources it really is. And, and time and money. Yeah. I mean, I, I do agree with that. But politically, the significance of that is that the way that Tory MPs can put an end to this is, is just by getting, getting Boris out. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the police investigation will presumably, you know, carry on and, you know, maybe some, right. some, some knuckles will be wrapped. Right. Um, but it won't be a huge front page story for the well, because I was for, one of for the those, next few months. But I mean, I was one of those people who thought it was ludicrous for the police to be, you know, apprehending people in parks and telling them that they couldn't stay somewhere it and is. sending them home. And that was a waste of police time. And it's ludicrous to suggest that that having meetings or having parties in the Downing it's some Street kind Garden of criminal behaviour. It, well, it, I mean, that is not going to spread uh, the, the virus. 
But unfortunately, the rules didn't didn't say well, that. Well, lots and of things are not going to spread the virus, and lots of things are going to spread the virus. But as you say, the government came up with these ridiculous rules, yes. so they surely have to follow them. They, and don't of they? course, they have to follow them. And any other prime minister would have followed them mm. and would have been scrupulous about right. following them. Uh, but but Boris Johnson isn't, and that has just triggered. I mean, triggered. I mean, disproportionate anger, in my view, yes. because I mean, I, I, I don't particularly care about it. No, I mean, I don't, th- I don't think that was a real, uh, that that was a real uh, risk to public health. But it was, a, it was hypocritical, and a lot of other people made sacrifices, and therefore they feel right. very strongly about it. Well, and, I mean, as Julie Hartley Brewer said, it's, so. it's not about the party, it's not about the wine, it's not no. about the cheese, it's not about the cake, it's about the hypocrisy, and exactly. that's the big thing. And isn't that's it? what's, uh, that's what's going to do for for Boris Johnson. Right. Is there any chance that if there was to be a vote of no confidence, that he would win it? Yes, but I, mean, I don't think he will. I, th- right. I think on balance, in a secret ballot, I mean, the, 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 this is the wonderful thing about the Conservative Party, is that it's all it's a double secret ballot. Yeah. I mean, the, the 54 letters are in secret. So, um, you know, you, you, there's no cost to putting in a in a letter apart from the time you spend right. writing it. But he is remarkably uh, thick skinned and he doesn't seem to care that uh, people want him out. He doesn't oh, seem to no, be interested I in. I mean, I know we, we're told that he likes to be popular, yeah. but he's not popular now. No. Um, and he's not likely to I be popular any time again. Oh, I think he hates it. I think he abs- absolutely hates it. And I, think, I mean, they're all the same. I mean, I think Tony Blair absolutely hated being mm. unpopular and, 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 and resented it deeply. Uh, but well, in my very brief um, meeting with him, which was over dinner, I was amazed at how surprised he was about people not agreeing with him. Who, he, Tony Blair yeah, or, or Boris Tony Johnson? Blair. No, I've never <laughs> met Boris Johnson, but I had dinner once with Tony Blair and we had a sort of conversation around all sorts of things. Lots of it, it was in Wales when I was running the mirror in Wales. And he was kind of astonished that, that people didn't agree with his ideas. And I, genuinely. And I mean, yeah. you know this, you wrote well, a book about him. Yeah, no, but this is, that's, that's his way of uh, persuading people, is just to express, express mild surprise yeah. that, they, that, they, that they don't share his, his reasonable views. Yeah. Uh, but Boris, Boris Johnson, you know, I, I don't think he's enjoying this at all. I think when he, ha- when he did that sort of, uh, that interview with uh, Beth Rigby with mm. his mask on and he yeah. was sort of, sort of shuffling about looking at the floor yeah. and, and pretending to cry like a naughty schoolboy. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, his whole body language said, you know, I really wish I was somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but then they tried that whole business of, oh, let's feel sorry for him now because he's had a terrible time and it's been yeah. terribly awful. And that's that was the briefing. Work. And that didn't work. No, well, public opinion has turned um, to, to a remarkable degree. He's, he's extremely unpopular. And the idea that he, he used to get away with the idea that, you know, although he's sort of chaotic and... Mm. Uh, uh, and 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 slightly buffoonish. He's in a very difficult position. He's had a very difficult uh, coronavirus crisis to yeah. deal with, uh, and people were prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt because they thought that you know he was sort of on mm. their side. Uh, but they don't think that anymore. And but is there and I also don't think you can ever recover? And will he be advised right now by those who are advising him that if you hang in there long enough, people will get fed up with it all and they'll just forget about it and you'll just carry on? No, I mean, but I don't think I don't think he'll ever be anything like as popular as he mm. uh, as he once was. I mean, he, he may be able to recover a bit, but the point is, he only won the last election uh, because of Brexit because yeah. he was up against Jeremy Corbyn. Right. So, the, so if he if he personally is 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 less popular than he was at the last election, then the Conservatives are going to mm. struggle to win it. Well, they are, and the, many the margins are not very big, are they, for them to lose all of those seats that they gained? And so, I think that's where it turns on him on him uh, seeing what happens in May. I mean, if the, the Tories get slaughtered in May, as as the pattern would suggest that they're going to be yeah. uh, the local elections, then he's really got nothing left to stand on, has he? Uh, 
well, do you no, think he I mean, lasts I th- until then? No, I think I think he'll go before then. But right. um, but it, it, it is possible that cowardly Conservative MPs will not do anything until they actually lose those elections, yeah. and that that will drive home the point to them that uh, that, that they and and the, and their prime minister are extremely unpopular. Uh, but I think they can work that out for themselves now. Mm. They don't need those elections. And there's, there are a lot of a lot of Conservative MPs who say we we cannot, you know, just sacrifice our comrades in mm. the in the local associations, the, the you know, hardworking councillors in all these places, yeah. uh, just to give give Boris Johnson a second chance. No, well, as I was saying earlier, I mean, this whole idea that this has turned into a kind of let's save Boris campaign. I mean, yeah. the British public are not really interested in that, are they? They are not, and that's the most uh, that, that's that, that's where he's weakest, I yeah. think, and that's why I don't think he'll win a. A, a vote of confidence uh, if it happens. Right. So tomorrow we've got another Prime Minister's questions. You know, each one we have, I think, is going to be his last. And he sort of limps <laughs> into another one. I mean, what's it going to be like tomorrow? Well, no, even, I mean, even if, you know, there is a vote of confidence, I mean, he will go on being Prime Minister for some time. Um, well, unless, I mean, unless, he fla- thing... unless he flounces out. I mean, yes. but, I, but again, I just don't think that's... That, that's in his character. No, and I it doesn't appear as if there is so far a killer punch which is going to land and it's going to be one thing that is the final But that's not shot. how it works. I mean, you know, there will be there'll be, there'll be the 54 letters, uh, then they'll have to arrange a vote of confidence. That'll all take, yeah. take, take days. When the vote of confidence happens, if he loses it, you know, he will then say... Uh, as uh, you know, I mean, I can't remember what Ian Duncan Smith said, which was the last time a leader lost a vote of mm. uh, vote of confidence. Yeah. But I mean, he will then say, you know, I will, I'll, I'll uh, stay on as prime minister until the successor is elected. Yes, and which will mean that we'll have more weeks and weeks and weeks of kind of indolence and, and nothingness, <laughs> and, and no, nobody's. And people have said in the, in the past, this is not a good time to, to dislodge a prime minister. But it was pointed out, uh, I think, by Julian this morning that in 1940. Uh, the uh, prime minister well, yeah. was in the middle of a war and was <laughs> yeah. kicked out. You yeah. know, but that was the reason was he was kicked out was because they were in the middle well, of right. war and it wasn't going very well. But the point Whereas, is, is that it was also not a great time either, is it, to be in position in power where yeah. all you're really doing is fighting fires and stopping people from getting you sacked. Well, abs- absolutely. But I mean, you know, Rishi Sunak may be the favourite in mm. the leadership election, but he doesn't want to fight a leadership election defending a tax rise. I mean, right. this is this is going to get well. There are two problems with Rishi Sunak. It seems to me one a tax rise, but also two Lord Agnew yesterday complaining yes. that the Treasury was completely and utterly incompetent, desperately useless, yes. um, and has allowed people to defraud them of something like four and a half billion quid, yeah. and they're not even bothering to try and get it back. Yeah, which which Lord Agnew said was not, you know, he wasn't trying to make a personal point or a, it wasn't no. it wasn't related to whatever he called it, the, the political turmoil around. But it, it's very damaging for for for, for the Chancellor mm. if he's if he's about to embark on a leadership campaign. Well, absolutely right. Let's have a listen to what he had to say in the House of Lords yesterday. I hope that as a virtually unknown minister beyond this place, giving up my career might prompt others more important than me to get behind this and sort it out. It matters for all the obvious reasons, but there is a penny of income tax waiting to be claimed here if we just woke up. Total fraud loss across government is estimated at £29 a year. Of course, not all can be stopped, but a combination of arrogance, indolence and ignorance freezes the government machine. Action taken today will give this government a sporting chance of cutting income tax before a likely May 2024 election. If my removal helps that to happen, it would have been worth it. So it leaves me only to thank the noble Lord Lord Tunnicliffe for his courteous but attentive role as my shadow minister of my portfolio and to thank noble friends, many of whom I know will carry on their scrutiny of this important area. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you and goodbye. I think that's one of the great sign-offs, isn't it? Thank you and goodbye. It was an astonishing speech, and then he just walked out to to applause. Yeah. And they actually clapped. Now, you don't hear the word indolent 
very often on this show. You've now heard it <laughs> twice, literally in the last three minutes, which is extraordinary. Um, a very good question has just come in from somebody uh, that says, if the police are now involved, does that mean that Sue Gray's report can't be published? I don't know, is the answer to that. Uh, I assume not. Um, what, you I, mean it not? It can't be published? I, I assume it, it can be published. Okay. Uh, because I think Cressida Dick is, is announcing that the police will investigate. Right. But, um, yeah, no, that, that is a very good question. Well, it becomes interesting because presumably her investigative report will be will sort be of part material, of the yeah, will be material for the police to look at. I'm so, I, yes, I mean, this is all happening in, in, in not quite the right order mm. because, what I mean, Sue Gray ought to publish her report and then Cressida Dick ought to say what, yes. what the police are going to do. Well, maybe she's yeah. had an early peek at it. Well, maybe. I mean, it is extraordinary what is going on. I mean, it's very, very <laughs> difficult to know. I mean, I'm... I'm I walked in here this morning and Julia, Julia said to me, so where, where are you now? I said, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm sort of Brexited again. I'm back in another cul-de-sac. I mean, not that I've changed my mind that Boris has run his course and he needs yeah. to get out. But just as far as how it happens, I have no clue. Um, well, no, I think I think the mechanism is very clear. And, and I, I, I've, I've nailed my colours to, to a triple prediction that uh, the, the, letters will, the letters will go in. There will be a vote of confidence. He'll lose it. And... Uh, and Rishi Sunak will be Prime Minister. Um, I mean, what the exact timescale is, is uh, is not quite clear. But I mean, I think it is a matter of days and weeks. Yes. I've got a great uh, tweet here from Abby Cat, who says, Mike Graham has sunk to an all-time low, even for him, on talk radio. Apparently, those of us who back Boris don't exist. We aren't real people, because he has <laughs> never met any of us. Well, it could be he mixes with the wrong people, and we have better taste than our companions. Clown! And she sent a picture of a clown along with it. Oh, well. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> well, listen, all I'm not saying nobody who backs Boris doesn't exist. I'm just saying that there seems that to be a, a very, minority. There's a very concerted campaign going on to save Boris Johnson. Yeah. And it would not be beyond the wit of the spin doctors to make sure that that message was getting out loud and clear to what is now the social media landscape. Well, I mean, and if you look at the Conservative Party membership, uh, I mean, the evidence on this is is unclear and it's it's changing all the time. But yeah. I mean, the last the last poll did suggest that most of them want to want him to carry on. But yeah. I mean, I don't know how how true that is going to continue. Well, there to is be. also a rump of people who think that if Boris goes, that will be the signal for somebody to come in and be more restrictive on COVID. I think that. That boat has gone a long well, exactly. time ago. I mean, the idea Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's I mean, going to bring more restrictions in. No. Uh, and the other idea that all the donors keeps banging on about and Heseltine, all that means if we get rid of Boris, <laughs> we can get rid of Brexit. Also, absolute utter rubbish. No, I mean, uh, uh, you you know, know. neither of those things is going to happen. No, I mean, Rishi Sunak is a is a Brexit. I mean, Liz Truss wasn't actually. She was she was a Remainer. With, I mean, which is which. Yeah, is but even you've accepted but... Brexit now, haven't you? I mean, you've said he got <laughs> well, it even done. Even I. Yeah, even <laughs> you. I mean, you know, if Liz Truss can can run uh, in I Brexit negotiations that... and actually get trade deals done because she believes in Brexit, it doesn't really matter that she used to be a Ramona. I thought, the re- I thought the referendum uh, should be respected, absolutely. Exactly right, and and, and even Sir Keir Starmer says that now. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean there is nobody, I mean not even not even Ed Davey and the Liberal right. Democrats are, uh, are arguing to reverse Brexit. Final question, just off the, uh, off the piste as it were, uh, what's happening with Barry Gardner and the Chinese money? Is anyone looking into that? I mean, are the police going to investigate that at any point? Well, that's an extraordinary story because it was it was actually first reported five years ago. Yeah. And nothing nothing much right. has happened. And also, I'm told, um, there's a slight difficulty in investigating it with the police is that it's not actually illegal. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, you can take as much money as you like from the Chinese. That's not but, right. You're not allowed to take do- do- foreign donations. So there, there must be some some. Yeah, but way it wasn't a foreign. Was it not it, a foreign donation? It came another it, way, didn't it? it? Well, it came from presumably some you know China Christine UK, Lee friend, or something friendship association yeah. based in this in this right. country. But the, I mean, the allegation obviously is that is that the origin of that money was uh, was yes. from abroad. It and that would, from, I think that would be against well, against the well, law. Yeah, but is anyone investigating? Rather it? difficult to investigate that, but. Uh, no, they should. It should be investigated. Absolutely. Mm. And I mean, poor old uh, Ed, Ed Davey was on yesterday calling for Boris Johnson to leave, and he took some money from them as well. Nobody seems to be bothered about that at all. No, and uh, and, and the prime minister replied to him in in Chinese, which I thought was, <laughs> was well. This, one is of the why best we like Boris, this is why we like Boris Johnson. And the people who are uh, calling me a clown for calling for him to go don't seem to understand that if somebody continues to let you down and betray you and then says yeah. sorry and then he comes back and does it again and then does it again and then does it again i don't think it's somebody that you really want to be relying on to run the country is it <laughs> well i'm not calling i'm not calling for him to go i'm i'm just observing that he is going uh, because... This is amazing. You see, the great thing about John Rental is we always we always end up surprising each other. You know, he ends up defending Boris Johnson and saying he doesn't <laughs> want him to go, and he's supposed to be the man in the corner with Tony Blair. Well, I don't. I, well, Boris Johnson is a is a Brexity New Labour Prime Minister. He's yeah. doing many of the Blairite things. Yeah, uh, and I was I was quite supportive of all. There that. you go, Abby Cat. That's but, your, there's, your, there's a good reason for him to go. He's but like I, Tony Blair. But I do think that Rishi Sunak is going to pursue very similar policies anyway, and he's more competent. So, mm. uh, so I think Tory MPs would be right to uh, to make the switch. Yeah. Well, I'm still calling for him to go because I think we'd all be better off. Quite frankly. Also, we need to move on. And moving on, you can't move on if the guy keeps uh, having a story every single day that he was another he was at another party for heaven's sake john thank you very much indeed john rental uh, of course uh, chief political commentator at the independent read his stuff is always very good listen on your smart speaker watch it live on your smart tv the independent republic of mike graham talk radio Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here, the home of common sense, the only place you get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And we are now on television, of course, as well. Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube, now on Amazon Fire. And you can watch everything all day and all the way through the night as well, from Ian Collins to Jeremy Kyle to Kevin O'Sullivan to James Whale. Uh, even and James Whale is about to talk to me because James is so incensed that I've been having a go at Boris for so long uh, that he wants to tick me off. So James, a very good morning to you. Welcome to the Independent Republic. Uh, good morning, Mike. Um, and incidentally, I've told the boss that I want you paying me out of your pocket for this. Um, okay, I'll send you a tenner right now. Just pass your details to the um, to the guys behind the glass, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll, uh, fire, I'll fire ten quid your way. No, no, I'll put my price up. It's 50. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm really quite angry about this whole thing in the media uh, going about Boris Johnson. Um, Boris Johnson has got a lot more to worry about than the uh, ridiculous, stupid reporting I'm getting from Sky and the BBC. I don't know the name of the woman who's always outside number 10 for Sky, but my God. And the woman on the BBC at the moment, that, you know, I thought we had impartial, impartial broadcasters in this country. We obviously don't. We are on the brink of war with Russia, and no, we're, we're talking about a bloody stupid birthday cake and well, some sodden, uh, excuse me, some ridiculous, I thought I was on my own programme, <laughs> some ridiculous caterpillar called Colin. You know, wake up. Now we've got the Metropolitan Police investigating this. I, I would agree that the people who work in Number 10 Downing Street are probably too stupid. They should have been sacked. Boris Johnson... 
uh, is obviously taken his eye off the ball. But we are in a crisis. You know, we are going to have people not being able to heat their homes, not being able to feed themselves. Yet the first news story of all the news channels, except this one, I hope, uh, have been about this ridiculous uh, birthday cake parties, all this other stuff. Look, are you say- hang on a minute, James. Are you saying that having a birthday cake in an office uh, in a room with lots of other people is not a birthday party? Are you saying it is, in fact, just something that happens in an office? I don't give a stuff one way or the other at the moment. We're on a brink of war with Russia and we need to be prepared for it. We need to sort the stupidity of the anti-vaxxers out, which has nearly been done, by the way. We want to get the flipping Remainers who seem to be running the news agenda and are very upset who now decide they're going it, it's, to... It's the, the journalists who seem to feel they are in charge of this country. Nobody else. In a couple of years, you want to get rid of Boris Johnson? Get rid of him. We have an election. At the moment, I would like them to be focusing on uh, what is going on. I was listening to Julia this morning and Tobias Elwood made a really good point. He said, I think we need a four star general uh, in the uh, in in number 10, sorting out the kids who are doing whatever they do in there, Uh, because, you know, there's been too much time spent gallivanting around and having fun. They're there to work and run the country. But I don't need to hear any more of it at this time. We need to get on with sorting the problems of the world out. It's much bigger than what was going on during the pandemic. And why? Ask yourself this question, Michael, my friend. Ask yourself this question. Suddenly, two years on, all these stories are coming out. The, uh, the, 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 the MP who is uh, too, uh, too Muslim, the, uh, the, the stories of the parties, everything else coming out at this time. There seems to be a conspiracy now run by people other than those of us who vote to change the leader of this country. I was shocked at David Davis, who I quite like, uh, a nice bloke who would have made a good leader of the country. But, you know, it's just absolutely bizarre. They think they run the country. We actually should be allowed to vote for the leader of this nation at the next election. And I'm getting sick and tired of this uh, navel gazing that is going on at the moment. I'm really very angry about it. And I think a lot of other people are too. Boris Johnson is the voted prime minister. He needs to pay attention to what's going on in the world. Well, maybe he shouldn't have had a birthday party when everybody else was told they couldn't. Don't. Look, we don't know the ins and outs of it. And as I said, I don't really care at this particular moment what was going on then. Obviously, some bad decisions were made. But how come we find out about them now? Is this Russian interference? By the way, what happened with the uh, Chinese spy in the Labour Party? Well, I just asked John Rensselaer about that. I mean, apparently nobody's investigating that, which seems absolutely ridiculous to me. No, because they're obsessed because the media, every time you turn on the Sky or the BBC... They're outside number 10 well, don't put talking it on. about aches. My advice to you is not to put it on, James, and instead listen to talk radio, watch talk radio all day I have all talk radio on, all but night. I, have to, I have to sort of compare the other so-called mainstream left-wing abusive media uh, with what we're doing, and we are doing what the public need to hear. We Listen, I risk every night going on talking about the stupidity of the anti-vaxxers, 
I mean, I've never had so many. Yeah, you've had death another alert threats. there from this common sense brigade to stop talking. Yeah, about no, it. I'm. I'm, you know, I'm getting you, one you, in your on lights got your face. lights got off. It's time for your I, medication. I, Listen, uh, we'll talk I, to you later because it's it's time is of the essence. We've got to get things sorted out. I appreciate your time, James. We'll see you at ten o'clock tonight. James Whale there defending Boris Johnson, saying that you know it's only a birthday cake. It's only a room full of people who were actually at work together. It is not in any way, shape or form anything to do with a party. Just because somebody comes up to you in an office and gives you a piece of cake because it's your birthday, that doesn't make it a party. That's what he's saying. What are you saying? This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Smooth, strong and very long. Tell your ears to chew on this. We think what you say. Thoughtfling your thinking. The home of common sense. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got much to do and we've got plenty of time to do it. Laura Dosworth coming up in the next hour. Uh, she's going to be telling us what she makes of what's going on now, not only with the nudge units at Downing Street, uh, but also as well uh, with the nudge units moving into things like the Highway Code. Let's no doubt talk now to Sir Gerald Howarth, former Conservative Defence Minister, on the latest uh, from what is happening over in Ukraine. Sir Gerald, a very good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning, the Independent Republic of uh, Mike Graham. Very kind of you to be here. Um, it's difficult, this one, isn't it? Because there's a lot of sabre rattling. We've got the Russians uh, involved in exercises off the coast of Ireland, bizarrely, with their navy. We've got uh, Ukrainian forces on the border. We've got, I'm told, a lot of shots actually being fired already. There's, there are kind of, you know, there are exchanges of fire at the very least. Um, are you one of those who thinks that it won't come to what our worst fears are, or are you very concerned? I'm extremely concerned, Mike, and the reason I'm concerned is that we have plenty of past history. It's not as though uh, Vladimir Putin has been a, a peace-loving guy. In 2008, he invaded uh, Georgia mm. and the next part of that sovereign country. And in 2014, as everybody remembers, uh, he marched into uh, Crimea, part of Ukraine. And mm. under the Budapest Memorandum of 1994, uh, the United States, the United Kingdom... Uh, and uh, Russia agreed to respect Ukraine's borders and to refrain from using force either to uh, run into the country or indeed to influence its politics in return for Ukraine abandoning its massive arsenal of nuclear weapons. Mm. So Putin is in has been already twice in, well, in flagrant breach of his undertaking in his country's undertaking in 1994, uh, to which John Major uh, signed up Britain as a party, and Bill Clinton signed up America. Um, and then um, uh, he said in uh, in 2014 that they had no intention of marching into, crime, into Crimea. They did. Mm. And we have the same assertions today, no intention of military action, 100,000 troops on the, uh, on the border, and of course, a continuing fight in eastern Ukraine, mm. where Russian forces have been involved for the last uh, six or seven years. Yes. I mean, I suppose they'll argue that Crimea for them is very much a Russian territory. Um, Western Ukraine, maybe not so much, but they would always say that the people in Crimea are actually Russian and they want to be ruled by Russia, which is part of the problem, isn't it? Yes, of course. Uh, you, you always have this problem where where, where borders don't particularly uh, reflect um, tribal uh, loyalties. Mm. Um, but as I say, there was a solemn agreement signed by Boris Yeltsin on behalf of the Russian Federation in 1994, 
specifically assuring Ukraine that its borders and its territory would be respected and the resort uh, to military intervention uh, would, uh, would, would not happen. And um, so, uh, furthermore, of course, in the uh, following our scuttling out of Afghanistan, Putin has seen that the West is weak. Uh, we've had a weak president in the United States. Uh, he's showing a bit more resolve now, which is welcome. Uh, but your your listeners will have noted, uh, Mike, that there's 100,000 Russian troops been stationed on the Ukraine's border mm. for some time. Uh, and then Russia today has denounced NATO, correction, denounced the United States, for having put on alert 8,500 troops who are nowhere near Ukraine. Um, this is a, 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 a war of words, a war of disinformation, but the, uh, the direction of travel is clear. Putin will take advantage of Western weakness and no end of sanctions, I'm afraid, uh, will deter him because he resents the breakup of the Soviet Union and he's seeking to put together uh, the, the, the previous so uh, Soviet Union under his command. And it does seem as though there's been a slow but very steady kind of growth, has there not, in, in Russian sort of dirty tricks on the cyber front, on, on you know, the front of just people coming to Salisbury with Novacek uh, and poisoning others and, and you know, acti activities around the world, should we say. I mean, he's, he's definitely been kind of cementing his position, hasn't he? He certainly has. And he's seeking to destabilise uh, the West. Uh, and, and the irony is that, of course, he has done absolutely nothing to modernise uh, the Russian economy. They are totally dependent upon natural resources uh, for their income. And uh, Russia today is not even in the top 50 no. uh, of economic powers. United Kingdom is, uh, is, seven, is 22nd. Uh, so, uh, you know, with the United Kingdom 22nd and, and Russia not even in the, in the top 50, you can see he is engaged, as so many despots do, as uh, Galtieri did in the, uh, the Falklands on behalf of Argentina, 40 years ago, uh, these despots uh, seek to divert attention from their weakness and their failure uh, at home mm. uh, by engaging on these, uh, uh, these military excursions. Yes, unfortunately, uh, we have a situation as well at the moment with Joe Biden in the White House and Boris Johnson uh, in Downing Street where you might not think, perhaps, that uh, confidence is going to be that high on how they're going to solve this. Well, of course, uh, unfortunately, the British government is uh, completely distracted by this party gate business, which it, which is important. But in the great scheme of things, you know, we have 25,000 illegal migrants uh, crossing uh, the, the English Channel last year, mm. aided and abetted by the border farce uh, and to a certain extent the RNLI, yeah. of which I'm a, a member. Mm. Uh, and uh, we've we've got um, this obsession with... Uh, um, heat pumps and, uh, <laughs> and and all the green agenda whilst China's belching out black smoke into the atmosphere. We've got the Northern Ireland Protocol, which is dividing uh, Ulster from uh, the rest of the United Kingdom. Uh, and we've got uh, 100,000 Russian troops poised to uh, completely destabilise peace and security in Europe. These, in my view, Mike, are very much more important yes. issues and who went to whatever it was a party to thank people working damned hard to deliver the fantastic uh, COVID response that um, this government has delivered to the people of Britain and put us in pole position in the world. Yep. I think you must have been listening to this show for quite a long time, Sir Gerald. Thank you very much indeed. Um, very, very many congratulations. What a sensible man. Former Conservative Defence Minister Gerald Howard. 
the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So, one of the men that we have relied upon over the course of the last few months, probably years actually, uh, to tell us what is really going on. A uh, man who knows a thing or two about statistics, used to work at the Office for National Statistics, Jamie Jenkins, independent statistician, uh, a man who can um, see the wood for the trees. Let's find out what he knows. Jamie, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. I probably have to come up with a new topic to talk to you. <laughs> Hopefully. But I think on Boris, I think he's probably played a blind ear, Mike, because this police investigation probably means Starmer tomorrow, if he starts asking him questions about it, he will he probably just respond and say, I can't answer any questions because there's a police there's investigation. There's a police investigation. Well, exactly. But I mean, it's all very well to say he's played a blinder and that this is a work of genius. But I mean, <laughs> there are some who might suggest that there's a little bit of a, a stink about it. If he's able to ring up the head of the Metropolitan Police and say, oi, you better start investigating me so that I can't do anything else until it's finished. And how long is it going to take? Or how long is the piece? How long do you want it to take? I mean, that's kind of the conversation we think has taken place. That shouldn't really be allowed, should it? Well, no, Mike, but, you know, this is politics. And obviously Boris is, if this report was going to come out this week, this is a, a bit of a blinder to try and stop it coming out. And yeah. then the police investigation, they might say, oh, it's taken a while to do and then we'd be into the kind of March, April time. People would have forgot all about it. They'll probably come out and say there was no criminality, actually, rather than saying there was any kind of dodginess with right. the rules. And then Boris will say, well, the police have said there is no criminality. So let's get on with it. That's yeah. probably yeah. what I think will happen, Mike. But whether or not he survives that, who knows? Talk about cynical. I mean, this is possibly the most cynical thing that he's ever done. And he's done plenty of cynical manoeuvres. Um so we shall see. We can only wait and uh, and, and hope that uh, it doesn't drag on so long that the actual government and the business of government can't be done, because that's the problem for me, is that the place is in a kind of holding pattern and has been for about the last two or three weeks. And if you're working for the cabinet, for example, if you're a cabinet minister, what, what on earth are you supposed to be doing? Well, yeah, Mike, we've got that issue, because obviously with Boris kind of in limbo, the government's kind of not functioning at all. And and I suppose one of the benefits of all of these party scandals has probably meant that to keep appease the backbenchers, they're not going to try and continue with plan B restrictions. And and, and actually, if we talk about the, probably the plan B restrictions, Mike, I think I was on with you just before Christmas. Yeah. And we had, uh, I think I was talking to you about Neil Ferguson's model of, ooh, if we don't have any more restrictions, we get up to 5,000 deaths a day. I, I came on the show and said how much bonkers that was at the time. We then got Warwick University work on behalf of Sage coming up with a model that said around 3,000 deaths per day. And I think, to be frank, for the first time, Mike, uh, for a while, the government actually had a proper smell of that report. And I, I can't use the term that I probably should, you know, on, on air, but they looked at that report and they decided not to introduce Plan B restrictions. And, and I'll just tell the viewers and listeners kind of, what the model was saying is that the SAGE model was saying if we don't issue more restrictions beyond Plan B, we might get, well, we were predicting up to 2,890 deaths a day. Now, they, they have a range on that as a lower range and an upper range. The upper range was around 5,000, the same as Neil Ferguson. And, and they were predicting that around now, Mike, about the last week or so of January, we were predicting that. Where are we? Uh, we're probably more around 200 deaths a day. Nowhere near 2,890. So you're So they're out by more than a factor of 10, right? Yeah, and well, over 90% out, Mike. And, and remember now, these res- the, they were saying this is what they think will happen. Even their lower estimate uh, was way, way out, over 80% out. Mm. And that was their best case scenario. And I think, frankly now, Mike, this is a, a good example of why we should completely ignore any sage modelling in the future. If any new variants come out, they were ridiculing some people, the scientists in the UK, about what the South Africans were saying, 
everything they said at the time came home to roost. And uh, quite frankly, Mike, you know, in Wales and Scotland, they did go and introduce some more restrictions. Uh, and the England model, when you look at that, it, it just didn't bore out. And we've got to start considering now what the hell are we doing when we're listening to some of these scientists? Well, I mean, there's a diminishing number of them, isn't there? But they're still out there, some of them who are saying, oh, well, you know, there could be more variants coming then we don't know whether they might be more dangerous than Omicron. Um, you know, we are still very much at the peak of it all. I mean, it's quite incredible what they're coming out with. And we keep, as you keep re- repeating and correcting, we keep hearing as well from people like Nadeem Zahawi, I think it was just the other day, saying that, you know, 90% of people in hospital with covid are unvaccinated which of course is rubbish because what they're doing is actually redefining the term unvaccinated aren't they they're saying if you've only had one or two you're unvaccinated yeah well boris is talking about the unboosted now he's mm. using that term yes and the dean was talking about icu yesterday and 90 percent are unvaccinated which to be frank if you're unvaccinated you've had no doses of the vaccine i've been ridiculing that number for bloody months mike on, on you know it's been going on for a, for a while on this yeah. now and and the true figure is December we had figures and it's about sixty one percent seems quite high, but what where we are Mike just quickly on where, with the situation Omicron is clearly less severe. Uh, the numbers of patients in intensive care are uh, a kind of a lower back to the last July, so they're significantly lower, you know, eighty five percent lower than this time last year. And not only that, Mike, half the patients in hospital now have Omicron or COVID. There might be some Delta variant still out there, but they have COVID, and they're not actually in hospital because of it. They right. just happened to test positive for it. So I think it depends on what the kind of the, the, the we're talking about with this pandemic. Omicron's obviously less severe, mm. but some governments are still fa- you know fixed on cases. Look at France now, Mike. Yeah. They've had their highest cases ever through the pandemic. I put a tweet out last night on this. This is what they've been doing over the last six weeks. And cases are four times higher than what they are in the UK. So they've got... they've. First of all, remember they banned the UK f- travellers going in, so yes. they banned some foreigners going in. Then they closed the nightclubs. Uh, then they uh, extended the masks in classes, like we kind of did here. Mm. Then they've now introduced vaccine passes in hospitality. Uh, they've started vaccinating children down to the age of five, and they got cases that have never been so high. And then you've got Israel, Mike, on the other hand, where they've started administering fourth doses. I think in the last 24 hours, they've just approved the fourth dose for everybody over the age of 18. And on a per head basis, they're even worse than France. So, but the thing is, Mike, these are cases. If you actually look at the deaths underlying all of that, they're relatively low compared to the past. So I think we've got to stop fixating on cases. Well, I was looking at one of your um, graphs, I think, from all the way back in January of last year, when we had the peak that everybody was worried about. Um, And actually, there were fewer cases then than there are than there are in this January. However, um, in that time, more and more people were going to hospital, whereas now hardly anybody is. Yeah, we had, you know, the, the cases we had over the Christmas period, Mike, we've never seen them so high. And, and ONS were predicting as well, because obviously we, not everybody gets tested. We had a lot of people being tested. They were saying we may be having kind of a half a million cases a day. And that's not a bad thing, actually, mm. if fewer people have fallen ill. Because, right. you know, some people are saying, Mike, this isn't kind of a natural vaccine mm. because people are catching it. It does help reduce the kind of chances of you catching it again. And, and quite frankly, Mike, we've seen kind of Sturgeon and Drakeford now in the devolved nations doing their press conferences recently or or talking in first minister's questions, talking about using some ONS data, which I've been ridiculing them doing, to try and claim, oh yeah, we perform better than England. Look uh, look at the numbers, our restrictions definitely worked. Hmm. What they don't tell you, Mike, is the southwest of England, the east of England and the southeast of England performed better than Scotland and Wales. And they had exactly the same rules 
as other parts of England. So some parts of England came out worse, some parts of England came out better. Comparing those countries to the whole of England is, is quite highly misleading, I think. Right? And, and quite frankly, I think we can put to bed now that these extra restrictions don't do anything. And, and one thing, Mike, Mark Draper was on a, f- a couple of weeks ago. They asked him a question about, are you going to add the booster vaccine to the vaccine pass? Right. And he came out and said, yeah, we've nearly got the technology ready to do that. So rather than considering what they're doing in Ireland to get rid of them, he's all for adding in the booster vaccine. I think now Boris is getting with them going in England. He's going to have to call his hand if the facts are quite clear there, Mike. They don't work. Time to get rid. Well, that's the thing. Um, and given now that England has done that, um, I mean, we're obviously looking north to Scotland as well and, uh, and west to Wales, if you like. I mean, surely at some point they're going to have to all agree that this is what we're going to do in the future. No, indeed, we should never have devolved this in the first place. And he was asked the question, uh, Mark Draygood as well, Mike, about because these powers, you know, these emergency coronavirus powers come to an end in March, if that means that they elapse in Wales as well. And then he's now claiming that they've used some public health act from the 1980s, I think, because pushed through all this legislation in Wales. Complete power grab. Just some common sense needs to prevail in all of this, Mike. We need to start moving way beyond. We talked about this last summer, didn't we? We need to move beyond kind of where we are. Thankfully, Omicron came along and is far less deadly. Well, isn't it amazing as well how quickly the government can suddenly pivot when they feel like they need to? And suddenly there's no travel restrictions really to speak of. I mean, I know people who are unvaccinated will still say, well, there are actually on people who are unvaccinated. And that's true. But suddenly they've done away with, uh, you know, the pre-departure test. They've done away with now uh, getting a test when you come home again from wherever you've been. Uh, They've done away with um, PCRs pretty much altogether. They've done away with uh, social distancing. They've done away with masks in schools. I mean, it all happened terribly quickly uh, because Boris Johnson suddenly decided that uh, he might have to be a bit more popular than he wanted to be. Indeed, Mike. And, and I think on the travel, we we need some consensus because I think if you've got children now, um, children need to have been vaccinated for them to go into France. I think some of these ski trips, if they haven't been Every day they have to take a test. Yeah, or they have to do these daily tests. Now, I, I find this quite frankly bonkers, Mike, yeah. because if everybody goes to these ski resorts and they're all negative, for example then who's going to catch COVID if they're all negative? Because everybody's there who hasn't got it. It's right. quite clear. I'll tell you an interesting fact, though, Mike. I was looking at the figures yesterday, going back to the NHS mandates and, and staff having kind of vaccines. So I looked at the, the last four weeks' figures that have been reported by the UK Health Agency who've had COVID, who've caught COVID, and they do them by vaccination status. So we, we've probably, and I looked at it for the working age population, so 18 to 59-year-olds, just because that's roughly what the age of people who'd be working in the NHS would be. And 13% of the COVID cases over the last four weeks were in the unvaccinated. And so 87% have had some form of vaccine. Mm. It's quite clear they catch the virus. And we probably in that age group, it's around 13% of the population who are unvaccinated as well. So, you know, people are saying, and and I've heard them on kind of Julia's show, you probably get people on as well, talking to James Well, saying, look, they've got to have the vaccine because it'll stop them kind of infecting others well quite clearly it's not because if 87 percent of the cases have had doses and remember mike we've never done this for the flu vaccine 30 percent of frontline nhs care workers last year didn't have a flu vaccine we've never done it in the past no and and this vaccine doesn't stop you catching it or spreading it so bonkers mike it really is but this is the thing i mean these people that we were talking to laura about this earlier who say well we're not safe until we're all safe it's like well you can't all be safe it's sorry it's not achievable you walk down the street 
Somebody could fall on you. You know, you drive a car, somebody could crash into you. You know, you can't make everybody safe from absolutely everything that happens. And, and then they make the argument, oh, yes, but these are preventable deaths, you know, these COVID deaths. Well, really, are they? If most of the deaths were actually caused by COVID to people who were already quite ill, then the COVID is simply one factor uh, in their death, isn't it? No, indeed, Mike. So I looked this morning because we get the weekly ONS figures because people are obviously saying that things have changed over time and it's killing a lot more younger people than it has in the past. Well, obviously, deaths are significantly lower. So I looked at the figures this morning. So mm. the, the latest week's published figures, again, 80% of all the deaths with COVID on the death certificate are over the age of 70. Right. Now, you know, obviously, it's tragic for these families if some of them wouldn't have died if COVID was there. But Remember now, the vast majority of them have had the booster vaccine. If they did decide to go for a fourth dose soon for the vulnerable, they would have had it. So, you know, there comes a point, Mike, where trying to control everybody's lives, like masks in class and, and all this stuff, just doesn't stack up. No. And you've got to move beyond that, Mike. It's just... Yeah. No, I agree. I'll tell you what I have seen a lot of recently, and I don't know what you think of this or whether you've seen any evidence of it, but a lot of people, a lot of the fear mongers saying, oh, there's been an awful lot of children admitted to hospital in the last couple of weeks. We have to be so careful because they're the ones that are now getting it. They're the ones that are spreading it. What have you seen uh, on children being admitted to hospital? Yeah, Mike. So I actually did a bit of a blog on this a couple of weeks ago. So um, remember now, we've seen huge numbers of cases, a record number of cases with COVID. We've seen record number of children with COVID. And the, the important thing for, you, for the viewers and listeners is this is with COVID. Mm. Um, so we have seen record numbers of children in hospital with COVID. But then if you've got record numbers of children with COVID in, in the population, the chances are you're going to have record number of children in school with mm. COVID, record number of everywhere. So what I did then is I've looked at the government stats on how many children are in hospital, because obviously children go in and out of hospital all of the time. And if Omicron was really severe for them, you'd expect to see far more children in hospital overall. But actually, interestingly, Mike, if you look at now versus a month ago, there's fewer children in hospital since Omicron's hit the country than before kind of Omicron. So, and, and the average discharge time, because I think one of the things you've talked about on the show, isn't it? You hear all of these stats about how many people are going in, but what about the stats of other people are coming out? Well, if you look at the discharges, mm. which we get once a month, the children are coming out uh, generally within two days, similar to what the discharge time would have been before COVID. So people are, you know, I put some tweets out on this myself, completely scaring parents to say that, you know, Omicron's causing serious illness and people are going into hospital. The Royal College of Pediatricians are saying, no, it's very mild. And the facts and figures are quite clear, Mike. There's no more children. In fact, there's less children in hospital in England now than there was a month ago. We just happen to be picking up a lot more of them when they test them. Uh, when they're in hospital who have COVID. Right. And they're in hospital, presumably, though, because they're pretty unwell with it. When we were told as well a long time ago that kids don't really get it badly. Well, some of them will be in hospital, you know, because of the COVID virus itself. But I think it's, it's similar to what we're seeing in the adult population as well. Mike. Just the vast majority of them have gone into hospital. I had a tweet of somebody to say that they were in for an operation, their, their child, in the Great Ormond Street Hospital. They were in for an operation. Uh, no symptoms of COVID, but they tested them and they tested positive for COVID. So they were in hospital for the operation, nothing to do with COVID. But obviously they'll be in the figures, Mike. And if you multiply that up by and you know the thousands of children potentially who are going in, you start seeing the figures. And the facts now, Mike, the, the daily figures that we see are very misleading now because mm. we've got so many people who have the virus who are in hospital not for it that when you see these daily death figures, it's quite clear they're over at kind of reporting now, because remember, 
If you um, have COVID in the last 28 days and you fall off a cliff, you're in the COVID deaths. And in the past, that's not been so bad, but it's quite clearly a problem. Now, the hospital figures are misleading when you don't consider the 50% who are in there. And when they say 90% of patients in hospital, in ICU are unvaccinated, well, that's false to start with. But remember, the number of patients in ICU is coming down as well. So you could end up with five people in ICU. If four of them were unvaccinated, then the answer would be 80%. But you've got to look at the numbers as well, Mike. No, absolutely right. Well, it's, as ever, very illuminating to talk to you, Jamie. Thank you very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins there, independent statistician, uh, a man who keeps his finger on the pulse and also keeps everybody honest as well. Always worth following him on Twitter. Stats Jamie uh, is where you'll find him. Uh, we'll take some of your calls coming up. Boris Johnson still very much the subject an awful lot of people want to talk about. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.